It doesn't matter if you're born in a tribal village, a capital city, or even if you're blind from birth. If you feel one of the seven emotions, you will have the corresponding expression on your face. And that's anger, contempt, and disgust, happiness and sadness, fear and surprise. On the show today, the mentalist meets Dr. Phil, as proclaimed by the Newcastle Herald. I'm talking to international profiling and communication specialist, Alan Stevens. Alan has worked with international clients such as Disney Films and Gillette, as well as organizations like the Australian Federal Police to help them understand how people tick. Alan works with business owners and executives, helping them to understand and engage with their clients and prospects, and with parents and teachers to help them enhance the ability of their children to reach their full potential and connect with every individual child. Good communication with each other is what makes the world go round and what allows us to have strong relationships with those around us. Today, we're going to explore the foundations of profiling to have better communication in all areas of our life. Good morning, Alan. Thanks for joining me on Mindset Mastery today. How are you? Pretty good, thanks. And thanks very much for the invitation. I'm really excited to have you here. What you do is so fascinating and I loved the quick conversation we had the other day and all the personality traits you could tell about me in our very short Zoom meeting. So I just want to start by asking you, what led you to become a profiler in the first place? Mainly because I was dreadful at it. I'd been through a lot of personal relationships, married and divorced twice, I'd had business partners who had emptied the, the uh, bank out and I just desperately needed to be able to read people more effectively. And after my second wife left, that was when I realized I just had to change what I was doing. I'd worked in a lot of different fields. I've worked with a lot of different modalities. I'd been uh, doing profiling with Myers-Briggs and DISC and Enneagram and other systems, but they weren't fulfilling the needs that I had at the time and I needed something more. And uh, I kept looking around then to uh, find out more about how to read the face, people's emotions and their uh, personalities from uh, their features and their expressions and their body language. Mm. So what research did you go into then to learn all this? <laughs> how long have we got? I know that uh, Carl Jung had uh, said that if you really wanted to understand the human psyche, you would get more knowledge by going into the churches, the clubs, the gangs, the schools, the brothels, all areas of life than you would by studying a, um, a stack of textbooks a foot high. And pretty much my life has been just that. I've been in just about every area you can think of. And I'd uh, worked in just about every industry as well. And in every industry, the, in all the jobs I was doing, everything was related around people. And so understanding people has always been the driving force. And I had been, uh, I was called in by a company that none of their students made, made any money. They taught currency trading and every student they had a brilliant instructor. He was absolutely amazing. But when people put their money on the table, they lost their money. And so they got me to come in. I said, well, it's got to be their, their personalities. We need to understand what triggers them. And I used all the different psychometric profiling you know, systems then. And the end result was we found that when they've put their money on the table, they didn't fit their personalities. And even through the trading, while they're being trained, they didn't fit it. And I needed a, a better system. So that led me on to the face itself. But 
I've been a, um, a massage therapist, aromatherapist. I've worked with colour therapies and sound therapies. I introduced those into the Singapore hospital for the kids with ADHD. I've been a Reiki master, I've got my NLP masters as well. And I keep on adding things along the way and I've worked with all the different psychometric profiling. And I just realized that, well, I've always had the attitude, the most important thing I'll ever learn is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. And so I just keep learning and adding new uh, skills to the, the table. And then when I found the, the face profiling, facial features that tell me your personality and the body language that, or the expressions, first of all, on the face that tell me your emotions along with the body language, I then realized I had all the skills to be able to recognize how somebody needed to be spoken to, then know how to structure the words to speak to them, and then had the feedback through the nonverbal indicators and the expressions of the body language that told me had I connected with them. And at the same time, had, is there something emotionally going on? And when they are talking to me, are they telling me the truth? Mm, yeah, I want to come back to that in a moment. But what percentage of it is facial features compared to body language and then actual spoken words to kind of piece it all together to be able to mm. profile someone? Well, it's, it's a little bit like when people talk about words, body language and the, the tone of voice. And they break it up. If you call those three together at 100%, they say the words are worth, as far as the information that's conveyed, the words are worth 7%. The body language is about 55% and the tone of voice is about 38 And that makes up your 100%. However, when people then look at, well, which is the most important? If you take the words out of it and just having body language and grunting, making noises, et cetera, there is no communication. So as far as importance goes, they are equally important because you need all of them to make the communication. But at the same time, the information that's most uh, relevant, that conveys the most information to us is the nonverbals, mm. the expressions, the, the tone of uh, the skin, the breathing and all different indicators that may be there. And all of that tells us what gives us the feedback. But I work with on the facial feature side of things, about 68 traits of search the world to find other leaders in the field of, um, of profiling. And now I'm working on some joint ventures with them to expand on what we already do. So that may come up to about 80 traits or thereabouts. With the uh, micro expressions, the face can pull about 3000 expressions that Paul Ekman, who did all the research on the micro expressions, he and his team mapped 3000 expressions and worked out which muscles move to create those expressions. But in a standard conversation, the most that we'll probably use is about 120 actual expressions. But Paul proved that there were seven expressions which are universal. It doesn't matter if you're born in a tribal village, a capital city, or even if you're blind from birth. If you feel one of the seven emotions, you will have the corresponding expression on your face. And that's anger, contempt and disgust, happiness and sadness, fear and surprise. And so, Whatever we feel, if I feel anger, for what reason, the anger on my expression on my face will be there. The, the blood in the body language comes up to my arms, it comes to my face, and I'm ready to fight. The fact is I'll lean in. That's the way we respond with anger is to push that obstruction away from us. If it's fear, then the blood's going to go to the feet for flight. I'm going to pull back. The expression I'll have on my face will be fear. So all of those, everything's linked. And that's why when somebody says, well, which is the most important or which one, what percentages, et cetera, I go, well, 
the situation depends on what I'm going to be looking for. If I'm meeting somebody for the first time, it's all going to be facial features that I'm looking for because that's going to tell me how much space that net person needs. I want to make sure they're comfortable. If I step into their space, they're not going to be comfortable. So I want to read that first of all. So everything else is switched off until I've got that. But then I'll be looking at, well, how much information do they need to receive? And so then when I talk, am I analytical? Do I give them just the overview and let them ask the questions that they want? So I'll look for that. But as soon as I've done that and I start talking to them, now I'm switching to the micro expressions and the body language to get my feedback. So it's shifting all the time. So I don't really think or say that it's one percent of percentage for one more greater than the other. It's just what's the situation at the time. Yeah. I can't believe 3,000 micro expressions. <laughs> 3,000 expressions, you know, is each like you put a couple of expressions together, that then becomes a new expression. Yeah. So it's combinations of muscle movements. You go through a range. It's like with surprise, for instance. Surprise is a momentary expression. It's there and it's gone. If it goes more than a second, then you know that it's a fake expression and somebody's putting it on. They're deliberately doing it. And I had a friend of mine who uh, she was always had a surprise look on her face when you were talking to her. And that was her way of being able to connect into the conversation. She wasn't surprised at all, but she was trying to convey that to show interest in what the person was talking about. But surprise will always then rotate into or flow into another expression. You get a surprise and you turn around and it's somebody who's threatening you, then it will move into fear. If you feel more dominant, it will come into, uh, say, uh, contempt or disgust for them or even anger. So there'll be another one that flows on. But when you flow those together really quickly, then you come up with a new expression. So even if you took surprise on its own and then looked at it, what could turn into fear, happiness, sadness, and all the others, you've got another six expressions. So that's another six combinations. And so when you start putting things together like that, they roll out. It's like if I'm working with the facial features, of which I said there's 68, 39 of them, you either have two extremes and a middle position. I work on a sliding scale. When I teach people, I go A, B, C. So one end, the middle, and then the far end. And then there's 29 traits. You either have them or you don't have them. So the possible combinations, when you look at all 68 traits, is three to the power of uh, 39 times two to the power of 29. That's two with 27 characters after it. And so that's the possible combinations. Thank God we don't have to remember them all. Yeah, absolutely. That's so you can see how numbers, when you start putting things together and see how they correlate and they flow together, the situations really change. Mm, yeah. So when you meet someone for the first time and you want to make a good first impression, mm. say, for example, it could be a job interview where you really want to make sure that you come across in a positive way. What can you look for in the other person to know how to communicate with them better? What I always do when I'm working with somebody who's going for a job interview, they're usually trained to how do they perform as a somebody who's being interviewed. When I train people, I say, okay, let's switch the roles. You're going to go in and you're going to interview the interviewer. In other words, you need to be able to connect with them quickly. You need to understand them. 
So as soon as uh, they walk in the door, well, first of all, you're always going to make sure your posture and other things like that, you'll always work on that side of things. So you present well. You come through, make sure you smile beforehand so that when you walk through the door, you're not looking nervous and everything else. But by putting your focus onto the interviewer and being able to read them, you take the focus off yourself. And so if you're a nervous person, then you're taking that nervousness away from yourself and you give yourself a little bit more confidence because you're not focused on yourself anymore, you're focused on them. And the first thing I'd be looking at is, well, how much space do they need? If I'm coming up to shake their hand, I don't want to step into their space. I don't want to be too far back away from them because then they'll see me as less friendly. And I want to come across at the right level. So I'll look for that first of all, but then I'll be looking at, well, this person, how much you know, information do they require? So if I'm giving an explanation, you know, if they're analytical, I know they're going to be looking for a lot of information. If I can see that there's somebody who wants an overview, I'm just going to go, okay, I'll give an overview and say, look, what else would you like to know? And I allow them to then ask a question. So I actually, virtually I give them permission to ask me questions, which changes our relationship, but it brings it more into a, a conversation. And we always find that having a conversation with somebody flows easier than being interviewed by somebody where somebody's asking questions and the other one's just answering. So I'll answer questions, but also ask a comment around that as well. Ask for some feedback from them in the way I do it. But I'll be looking, if they've got high level of confidence, I know that, and they've got say a physical motive where I know that they're focused on, just give me the best way to do it and get out of the way and let me get it done. So they're driven by action. Then, and they were asking me for a number of opinions, how I would do things. I know that they also want to know which is the best way. So instead of just giving them, well, these are the different ways I could do it. But then I'll explain why or which one I would then pick out and why I would pick that one out. So they can see then my reasoning, but also see that I can get to the action as well. So I try and communicate in the way that they like to be spoken to and deliver information to them, knowing the way that they would like to tell other people themselves. Mm. So how can you tell if someone is going to be more analytical or what are some different personality traits? Are there set ones that people have? It all comes down to, we just look for the facial features themselves. And anybody who's listening to this at the moment, it goes, oh, this is a bit woo-woo. It's a little bit clairvoyant. It's not, it's a science. And I've just turned it into an art form by bringing the different systems together. But when you think about it, if you're, you know, look at the people in the gym, they're lifting weights. And the, you know, the guys who work on their arms and really try and build their arms up with the bicep extensions and things like that, you'll see the muscles grow. So if we work a muscle over and over, it will change shape. At the same time, we know well why the, the micro expressions and the, the longer expressions work. They work because we feel something inside and we express it outwardly. So if we're concentrating deeply thinking while we're working away, we're going to be pulling expressions. And if we continue pulling those expressions, we're going to build ridges and crevices on our face. So therefore that's a history, a roadmap of how we like to think and process. That's our personality, not our character, but our personality. And by the way, two people look very similar. They will both process information in a similar way. They'll take it in, they want in a certain structure, certain volume, et cetera. They will then process it similar but what they're processing and what they're, they're planning can be completely different. One could be a saint, one could be a sinner. And so, but I know that the analytical person, this one's in the eyelids. If you look at people when they look straight at you, 
you'll see the eyelash. And on some people, there's a fold of skin that comes right down next to or even over the eyelash, the eyelash itself. The eyelash goes underneath. It's what I call a concealed eyelid. Others, there's either no lid there at all, or there's a line much further up between the eyebrow and the eye. The ones where the eyelash comes goes underneath the fold of skin, so the old fold of skin comes down over it. That's because we sit in and we really focus in on things. There you're at the analyst. They need more information before they make a decision. And they will ask a lot of questions when you're just trying to give them the overview. The person who's got the, the exposed eyelids where that fold of skin is right away or no fold of skin at all, these are the people who just want the overview. Now, when we train people, we talk about it being the big picture, but big picture in that this person wants the least amount of information. If they're on a mountain peak and there's another mountain peak, and we tell them they've got to go from mountain peak A to mountain peak B, all they want to know is where's the bridge? Give me the best way to get there, get out of the way. Yeah. Whereas the analytical person, they'll go down the valley, down the, the mountain, across the valley, getting all the information and decide where they want to go up the other side altogether. So the one who's got the analytical trait, talking to the big picture or the overview person, will talk themselves into the sale and out the sale as well. I would just give so much information where the other person just switches off on them mm. or tries to finish their sentences and rush them through. If it's the other way around, there's a big picture person who's just trying to give the overview. The uh, analytical person keeps stopping and wanting more information. So if you realise what the other person is, if I'm an analytical person, I've got a lot of information to give to somebody who just wants the overview, I'll say, look, there's a lot of information. I'm just going to give the overview. Once you've, uh, I've given you that, you ask the questions that you want to ask. But if there's something there that I think you need to know that you haven't asked, it's all right if I give that, that to you then. And I usually get a smile and a giggle from that person and I go, great. And I give, you know, give them the overview. What are your questions? Now, remember when we started, I said there might be something there that you needed to know. But that boring stuff were there now. That's when I usually definitely get a giggle from and they go, yes. So... I've spoken with them. I haven't spoken at them in that conversation. Whereas the person who just wants the overview, they start to give the overview and the analytical person drags them back and just keeps wanting going deeper and deeper. Well, they can say to the analytical person, look, just so that I don't forget anything, I want to put this on the table first of all. I want to just lay it out and then we can go back to each item. We go as deep as possible. As much as you like, you ask every question and I'll keep answering your questions until you got it. And use the other analytical person goes, okay. Once the person with the big overview just starts giving the overview, quite often the analytical person can't help themselves and they'll start wanting more information. And the big picture person can say to them, well, look, as I said before, I wanted to make sure I didn't forget anything. And that's, got, that's important to me and it's got to be important to you, isn't it? The person says, yes. You go, right, well, let's, let me put it on the table first. And then as I said before, we'll go back and we'll go into depth. And now they have that conversation. So we're able to speak to the other person in the way that the other person needs to be spoken to. Mm. That's mm. The whole focus of being able to read somebody. How do I build a stronger relationship with you? In sales, it's not about just selling to the person because I will get more sales by, or by not trying to sell to the person, but by trying to understand them more deeply, understand where their real issues are, what's important to them, and then providing the service that matches that. And so I don't sell to people, but people buy from me every day. Simply because I'm a problem solver 
I'm not the old image that we have of a, a snake or a salesman or you know, car salesman and things like that. And yeah. the best car salesmen out there do know how to treat their clients in a way in which they find out everything the client needs and then they provide which is the best vehicle for them. Mm, yeah. You only do that when you read the other person and, and uh, listen to them. Yeah, yeah. Can you give me some more examples, like you talked about the eyelid features, some other yeah. facial features that anyone can look at and understand a personality trait from? Yeah, well, three things that we see in people's faces really easily, they seem to stand out, is the width of the face. So very narrow faces and very wide faces. People who have got very close set eyes and those that have got very wide set eyes. And we have those that have uh, very high set eyebrows or very low set eyebrows. Like both uh, you and I have got reasonably low set eyebrows. You know, yours, if you look at the, when the person's looking straight at you, imagine a vertical line through the pupil of the eye and then look at the colored section, that height, and see whether that would actually fit in to the gap above the eyelash and below the eyebrow in that direct line because different shaped eyebrows we have different widths at different parts of the eye so we always measure it vertically through the pupil itself and so think of george clooney his eyebrows are almost down on his eyelashes there's no virtually no gap there at all the smaller the gap the closer the person will stand to you the more affable they are up front and by the way, every trade has an upside and every trade has a downside. You can't have a great upside without having an equally interesting downside as well. So those that are very affable, they're friendly with everybody. That's the upside. It's also the downside because they're friendly with the wrong people. They don't recognise the con artists. The person who's got the high set eyebrows needs more space. And the bigger the gap, the more space they need. They look less friendly. It's not that they're less friendly, but they're more discerning. What they want to do is they'll come into a room, they'll stand back, they'll look around and they'll work out who's safe to be around and who's not safe to be around. Once they've worked that out, they're as friendly as everybody else in the room. And in fact, if I see two people, in, if I know nobody in the room and there are two people standing close together and they've got high set eyebrows, I know that they know each other and I know that they trust each other. And if they each trust each other, there's a good chance that I can trust them as well. So they're the ones I'm going to go and talk to. But when I walk up to them, I'm going to give them some space. I'm not going to step straight in as close as they're standing to each other because I haven't earned that right yet. I haven't got their, they don't know me and I haven't got their respect yet. But once I've got it, I know that they'll stand close to me. And if I'm a loud noise, in a loud, noisy room and talking to somebody who's got high set eyebrows, I've only just met for the first time, I've given them that space. And if I want to test whether I've got rapport with them, all I have to do is lower my voice a little bit. And as I lower my voice, if they lean in to hear what I'm saying, I know they're interested in what I've got to say. And they've also, they trust me as well. So I can test in the conversation just by where I stand and how I move and how I speak. Yeah, that's awesome. And what are you saying about the narrow or wide face? Okay. Well, one of the things, every time I do a, a workshop, I always have a couple of, or one face, which is the original face, which is around about a middle width face. And then I have, I put it in on one side, so it's narrow, and then I expect to pull it out the other side. So I put the three up and I always ask people, which one looks the most confident? And people will usually say, if I go, the narrow face is number one, and the wide face is number three. 
they'll usually say two or three, the middle face or the, or the wide face looks more confident. When I ask them about the, which one is the most trustworthy, a lot of people go straight to number two. Not many people go to number one for either because narrow faces are people who build their confidence. They hear something for the first time, they sit down, they practice, they make they sure they got it right. They are slower in getting their head around things. That's the downside of the trade. The upside of the trade is that when they do have their confidence, you know they know their stuff. The wide-faced person hears it for the first time and thinks they've got it. And so with that, if I'm explaining something to somebody and I'm selling something or a staff member or something like that, and I want to make sure they've got it, I need to test them. But I test them in a way in which they don't know that I'm testing them. Well, having uh, understood all of that, uh, Joe, how would you put that into place in what you're doing here? How do you see that working there? If they can then relay that back and it shows that they understood, then I, I know they've got it. But if the narrow-faced person is talking confidently, I know they know their stuff. I don't have to go and check them. If I've got a new project I'm putting in place and it's got to be done right, because this is something that we're going to be using as a new process into the future over and over again, the person I'm going to give it to is the narrow-faced person and say, right, I want you to work on this and bring it back to me when you're ready. And I know when they come back to me with it, it's going to have all been worked out. It will be fine. It will work. If I've got a time frame on it then, then I'll say to them, look, I know that there is a time frame on this. I know there's going to be a lot of questions that come up. Don't struggle with them. Just come and talk to me about them and we'll get through them. We'll go through them together quickly because we've got to get this done by a certain time. So I use their trait, but I also learn how to talk to their trait so I can make their job easier for them so that I can get the results that I want in the time frame that I'm after. Yeah. And then on the case of the, the other one I mentioned, the close set eyes, mm. people who have got close set eyes are focused on things that are in front of them. Mm -hmm. If they're wide set, oh, squirrel, shinies, <laughs> easily distracted. That's a great trait for a boss to have because they're laid back. They're, you know, they're open to interruptions. Somebody with close set eyes, do not interrupt them when they're working on something and they look like they're really focused on it. If there's any stress with it, don't go and tap them on the shoulder and say, come over here and give me a hand straight away. With them, I go over and go, I say, look, I can see what you're doing. You're really busy. There's uh, really involved and it looks like it's important, but I really do need your help. How much time do you need to get that to a level where you can leave it and come and help me? Would five, 10 minutes be okay? They say 10. I'm going back in 11 or 12. And when I go back, I'll actually say to them as well, look, I could see that I was really important. So I've given you a bit of extra time. But if you come over here now and help me with mine, I guarantee we can get through mine fast because you're the person I need to help me with it. And then you'll be able to get back to your, your project or your problem. If I just drag them over, yes, they may have had to come over because they're say, a staff member, but their focus is not going to be on what I'm doing. Their mind's still gonna be on the project they are working on. They're going to feel that I don't respect them. I don't respect the work they're doing. And I wonder in that case, why I don't have loyal staff. Hmm. But if I've treated it in the way I've explained, that person feels that they contribute, that they're recognized, that they have a place that they belong. And those employees are the ones that work their tails off. Even when you're not in the premises, anywhere that you know, you're out of sight completely, you can be on holidays. They will continue to do with their job. They'll be productive and your company will keep making money in your absence and will probably even grow while you're not there. 
This is why it's important for everybody to have these skills, whether it be your partner, whether it be raising your children, or especially in the business, the workplace. Now, especially with people working from home, we have to understand them. We have to know how to speak to them when they're remote so that they are you know, diligently focused on the work that they've got to do. They're just not looking for excuses. Well, with management that we had before, most of it was micromanaged. If people weren't doing their work, we'd stand over the top of them. And that person then would work out what it was that they had to do to get by. And they'd only do that and nothing else. And productivity drops with micromanagement. But with leadership, and that's what these skills produce, it's a completely different matter. This is when people are happy, they're productive. If they're uh, happy at work, they're happy at home, which reduces uh, domestic violence, it reduces bullying. They're happier with their spouse, they're happier with their kids. And that's why reading people is the foundation of everything that we do, building relationships, mm-hmm. baseline for everything we have and everything uh, in- interacts, work and uh, private life interplay. So we break it down. Every facet of our life is really just about communicating with other people in one way or another. Mm. Yeah. Even if we're on our own, it's understanding ourselves. That's the first thing is I've got seven uh, secrets to reading people. The first three, first one is know yourself, know where you fit on the world scale, then read the other person and know where they fit in compared to you. And then change the way, number three is change the way that you like to be spoken to to match the way that they want to be spoken to. And as soon as you do that, they feel a connection and life is much easier and people will bend over backwards then to support you and do what you want them to do. Mm, Absolutely. Can you tell in children from, as you said, when you you use muscles all the time, you get that roadmap, but can you tell in children the same as you can tell in adults, their personality traits? You certainly can. So there used to be a fight between all the psychologists about nature and nurture. Nature being in our DNA and the nurture being our uh, response to our environment. And they find it took them years of arguing and there was a thing called the Texas, Texas adoption trials. These were children who had been adopted at, uh, at birth or at early age. And they also knew their, their natural parents as well. And they, they tested the ch- children at the age of seven and 17. They tested the parents, the biological parents and, that they knew of and the um, adopted parents. And they found that somewhere you know, 50% plus or minus a little bit, the kids were very much the same. The children were very much the same as their natural parents, even though they hadn't lived with them. And so they proved that, yes, there was DNA. Memories that we have are stored in every cell of our body, not just our brain. That's why conditions like breast cancer is passed down you know, through, different, you know, through the, the you know, female line. Other conditions, are, you know, we get those from the DNA. So a lot of the traits that we have at birth are from our parents. And we start to see those develop as the child grows and the the face and the head gets bigger. It starts to take a different shape. The brain itself, it's bulbous, the forehead at the front, because that's where the brain is. And then as the child grows and learns new things, new synaptic connections are made through the different parts of the brain. And so every skull on the planet is different to each other. They're like fingerprints. And, that they, and the reason for that is, depending on the way the child's thought, the synaptic connections that are made in the brain as it grows, the skull follows it. And that's when into our 20s, the, the sutures in our brain, of, or a skull, I should say, have really sealed. And at that point, you can see that. So in a newborn, 
there's about five to 10 traits that I can see. By the time a child is five years old, there's about 24 traits. By the time they're 10 years old, there's about 40 traits. And before they leave school, there's somewhere around about getting towards 60 traits that we're able to read. So in a newborn or a toddler, I can tell you what hobbies and sports are going to suit them. I can pick up some natural gifts, like a, a gift for music. Whether they're going to uh, be fidgets when they get to school, do they, these kids, can they sit for long periods of time or not sit for long periods of time? Before they leave or select their final subjects at school, we've got an idea of what uh, careers will suit their personality. So instead of telling them, oh, you know, accountants make a lot of money, you should do that. And we find out that they go to get a hex debt, they do their studies and then realize they don't want to do that work. Now they've got a hex debt, they've got to pay off and they never work in that field or they go into that field and they're miserable. Well, if we can uh, say to them, well, look, here's a few uh, careers that may suit your personality, go and check these out in the job guide. Let, do, then let them do their own determination on it. But in that process, give them some guidance on a direction where to go. So you at least, you know, if you've got teaching a kid how to ride a push bike, you get them on the push bike, you line the push bike up, so you give them some direction, and then you let them go with it. It's the same thing here with helping them find the right careers. It's line that push bike up for them, and they can then work out, well, yeah, I really like to do that. I can see how that fits. Because if they get a career that matches their personality, they're going to be happier. They're going to be more productive. So it's more productive for the organisation. It's happier for them. If they're happier, as I said, their relationships will be happier. You know, their partners, their children, and everything else. So, and I'll give you an example. When my fifth grandchild was born, I went into the hospital and about three days later, and I just looked at him and I started to have a bit of a laugh. And his father looked at me and he's going, what's wrong? I said, no, no. I said, nothing's wrong. I said, I can see that he's got critical perception. I said, first of all, now, as he grows up, he's just going to be so friendly with people. Girls are going to love him and everything else. Well, when he was about you know, three and four and taking him down the cafe, us adults got ignored because all the waitresses were just coming and chatting to him all the time. But I said he's got what I call critical perception. He'll find the errors in everything, which is a great trait to have if you're looking at documents and things like that. You'll find misspacing, misspelt words, things that don't flow, grammar that's incorrect. Or if it's an object on the wall, you'll be able to see things out of balance and all that sort of thing. They just jump off the page at you. However, and I said to him, so he's going to find the errors in everything. And the reason I'm laughing is I raise you and your uh, two brothers on my own. And there's a lot of payback coming for you and that, and he's going to be my ally. So I'm going to wind him up and we're going to get even with you, mate. That's why I'm laughing. That's hilarious. <laughs> so especially for children leaving school as well, when you may not be sure what you actually want to study or do with your life, can you do some kind of personality test for yourself to understand more what career might be right for you? That's it. With a full profile, what you do is you find out, you know, which each of the traits are. Each of the traits will have benefits in different areas. And so you look, then look at all that and you can put that together. I'm pretty lucky in that when I do this work, there, it does, that is a timely, it, it's sort of a long sort of uh, time to do that. The lady who taught me, I got, I, anybody wants to get a career assessment, I send them to her. She now, because of her age, she sends all of her new students who want to learn how to profile people, she sends them to me. And so what I like to do is then support her by sending people to, to her. If somebody wants to get a career assessment, 
I'll connect them with her, she'll do that career assessment and that will give them some ideas. Where I've been focusing is on more on the younger children because we are labeling more and more kids with conditions. What I call them is alphabet kids because we put ADHD and all these other initials behind them. Everything we, we categorize them and put them in boxes. Most of these kids don't really have a condition. What they it is, it's a combination of their personality traits that just don't fit the education system. There are three traits in particular, which I can tell you that if a child is a sequential thinker where everything's gotta be in a structured order, they've also got this, the trait that I said before with the wide set eyes or easily distracted, but they've also showed, got the trait that shows that they find sitting for long periods of time physically uncomfortable. If any one of those three traits are triggered, then it will trigger the other two. Say, for instance, a child is distracted and the teacher, they understand everything up to that point and the teacher keeps going on. And then now there's a gap between where the teacher's up to and where that child remembers. They can't bridge that gap. So they get frustrated. Then they start the looking for distractions. They start to get noisy. And then we turn around, we go, we've got a child with a problem. No, we just had a teacher who didn't understand the child because the teachers aren't taught this. They're taught to teach all of the kids. We know that between 18 and 24% of the gifted children at school fail, they drop out of school. And we also know that there's a high percentage of, the, of those that we put into special needs that drop out as well. And that's because we're only focusing on that middle part of the bell curve, which are the, you know, well, they call them normal kids, but the average kids, the ones that fit into the middle, and that's the bulk of the kids. And so we work on getting the bulk through we don't work on the two areas that I call them both gifted. You've got the smart kids. If you look at somebody with Asperger's or autism or something like that, their brains are going at hundred miles an hour. That's why they, they get uh, stressed out and everything else. The moment we know how to talk to them, then we start noticing the gifts that they've got. And if you go and you know, around YouTube and you check out a lot of the people who have got those conditions and look at some of the things that they're doing, look at Einstein, now, with dyslexia, for instance, Richard Branson and what he's created. These people that we would write off normally because they don't fit into the, the, the general population, but they've got such gifts. Mm. And once we recognize the gifts that, because everybody's different on the planet and everybody has a gift. It's not so much that they have to be able to express their gift. It's the community's responsibility to set up an environment where they, we can then recognize that in them and help to nurture them to bring it out. As I keep saying as parents, we are not sculptors and we are not carpenters. We're not here to turn our kids into something that we think they should be. We are here as gardeners. Our job is to nurture them and help them bring out the best that they can be themselves. And if they're doing stuff that they love to do, then they won't need a hell of a lot of money to pay the medical bills that they need to be able to pay because of their depression, because they're in the wrong jobs and they're unhappy. So you can see how all this works. The more that we can read somebody, we can build a better communication with them, a better connection. We can help them to be happier. They then connect with everybody else on the planet and everybody else's hope because we are each other's environment. And as you can see, by the way, I talk, I don't read people to manipulate them. I read them to be able to make a better connection with them because then they gain and I gain and the world gains from it as well. It's a win, win, win all the way around.
Yeah, that is incredible. It's everyone needs to do this. It'd be a real game changer for the way that everyone interacts and works and learns from each other. That's it. Well, see, I've put together, you know, a lot of small courses, little easy ones, and put them up online so that because I realized that people doing the master program, there's only so many people I can teach. And again, that sort of limited me to particular countries that could afford, you know, but if I put up very cheap courses up online, it extended the number of people can, who could do it. And also the, the reach of, to the different countries that that could be done. And I put a, a small course up. I mentioned those three traits about the children. I put a course up for parents and school teachers. And for them, it takes them about or less than an hour, about 48 minutes in total to go through the course and then they profile the children, understand themselves as well and how they need to change to speak to that child and how, depending on the three traits, which combination they are, how to actually set the environment up so that straight away the connection with the child is more effective. And so that relationship changes. I'll give you an example. I profiled a boy 10 years ago who was six years old for his mother. The school didn't want him. The after-schools care didn't want him. He would never do presentations in front of the class, they said. I profiled him. I gave the report to his mother. She gave it to the school and the after-schools care and managed to... Uh, uh, get them both to put it in place. At the age of seven, he was doing presentations in front of the class. Another year and a half later, they'd re you know, reduced his medication with the doctor's approval and didn't need the psychologist anymore. Back into the regular part of the school, 11th birthday, wanted a birthday party. His mother dreaded it at first, but uh, she said it was just a, no a noisy boys party and nothing more. And now he's uh, 16 years old and she's still doing testimonial videos for me because their life continues to change. And as she said, she's got this young man who's extremely intelligent, who she has brilliant conversations with, that never would have happened with the medication he'd been on before. Yeah. So by understanding our child, it means number one, we can save a lot of money on medication. We can build stronger connection with them and we can really enjoy those relationships. Yes, there's gonna be some kids that are going to need medication, but there's a lot of them that we can then by the relationship with them, we can take them out of that stage and improve their life and our, our lives with them as well. That is incredible. That is an awesome story. So I want to return to something before we finish up. Mm -hmm. And that is talking about how can we tell if someone is lying to us or being dishonest? It comes down into uh, looking for, first of all, everything you look for in clusters. If I'm looking at the, the facial features, for instance, not one trait defines you, it's a combination of traits. It's the same thing with the expressions. So I look for, and I'll be looking for the body language that goes along with it. An example, we've been told that somebody with their arms folded is closed off and distrust, and they're not interested. Well, it could be that they've got a sore shoulder. It could be that they're cold. It could be that they're intimidated and they're giving themselves a warm hug. They're interested but they just need to give themselves a warm hug because the person they're talking to intimidates them. Now they've got them on a pedestal or whatever. But what's the rest of the body saying? If their feet are facing towards the other person, you know, this person's got their arms folded, but their feet are facing straight towards you. They're leaning in, they're asking you questions, they're nodding in response, and they're nodding in response as you're speaking at the right points and everything else. The folded arms just mean nothing at that point. But then I look for when the folded arms open up, then I know they're even more open and even more interested. Now they're over whatever was that was holding them back before. And I now I've got a stronger connection with them. With the um, expressions, 
if somebody says to me, if I was talking to them about one of their good friends and their good friend is just a partner, they've broken up with their partner. And as I'm telling them that, I see that little glimpse of a quick smile in the, the corner of their mouth. I know they're happy about it. <laughs> Excuse me. But now the question is, why are they happy about it? Their partner was a horrible person and they're, they're happy they finally got away from it. There might have been domestic violence or something like that going on. Or just that other person was just a nasty person. It could be that, well, well, it's about time they got a bit of a kick in the bum. They've been a bit smug lately. And so that's a little bit of nastiness there. It could even be, oh, their partner's now free or they're now free. Oh, I've got a shot. And so it could be a whole mass of different reasons. So this is why you've got to look at things in, in context and everything else. But if you're looking for the micro expressions, if the expression doesn't align with what you're, you're talking to the person about, then you know something's wrong. If I'm talking about something I've done and I see a little look of uh, contempt or disgust on the person's face, I know they are feeling that towards me. If I'm talking to them and I mention about oh, somebody did such and such and I see that little look of contempt on their face, then that's okay because I expected them to have contempt for that other person. So it's when those expressions are out of alignment with what has happened at that time. And so if somebody is, because uh, as I say to people, and by the way, everybody who's listening to this, you are all profilers. You were profilers as young children. Only a very a small group of people can't recognize expressions on a person's face. But as a young child, this is how we survived. We needed to be able to recognize who was a friend, who wasn't a friend, who was somebody we knew or didn't know. We needed to be able to recognize their expressions. If they were angry, we needed to know that. You know, children cry and everything else in a multitude of different ways to elicit responses from us. And when they get that response, you'll see that their, their behavior will change very quickly. They know they're connected or they know they're doing the wrong. This is how we learn. And so we all do that. So knowing that, we can then say, right, the more that we understand that and the connection at the right time, we're going to be fine with it all. We'll understand it. But as we got older, one of the biggest things is that most of us got so involved in games, sports, education, chasing boys, chasing girls, all the different things that go on in life, that any muscle that we're not working atrophies. So if we're not practicing how to read people all the time, as we did as young children, as we get older, we just forget about it. And so I don't really teach anybody anything that they don't already know. I'm just a personal trainer who helps them get those muscles back. And how many times have you heard somebody say something that sounded perfectly right, but you've had that gut feeling, Ooh, something's wrong here. It's not just intuition. You've unconsciously picked up the nonverbal indicators that say that things are incongruent with what they just said. It could be the way they've stood, you know, as they're talking to them and they've turned around, they've put their hand over their mouth or whatever, or they've looked away when they've said something, you go, oh, that doesn't seem right. We will always look at what they've, they've said and discount the words in preference for that feeling that we have. And it's our unconscious mind that's picked it up and our unconscious mind is there all the time. So that's why a micro expression works. Somebody says something to us or something happens around us, and unconsciously we react straight away. And that's when we give away that expression. Then our conscious mind steps in. It's like out of the corner of my eyes, I saw something there, so ooh, surprise. And then I look and I realize it's a twig, it's not a snake. And so straight away, relief and so my expression changes 
a micro expression is a fifth as fast as a fifth of a second down to one twenty-fifth of a second. And by the way, we can all read those speeds. I average, when I started this, I was dreadful. It's why I had to learn how to profile people because I couldn't read people at all without using a psychometric profile, which didn't work anyway. But then I turned around and with the micro expressions after practicing them, and not too long to do it either, I, at a, about a tenth of a second, I average about 96% accuracy. And so that's one of the reasons I'd say that if with my background, as I explained earlier on, if I can learn this, anybody can learn this. And I've just been uh, lucky enough to have some really great uh, uh, teachers. And as I said, my natural attitude was the most important thing I've ever learned is the next thing I learn after I think I know everything. And so I've had that attitude all the way through. But because of the way I profile people as well, I also believe that in the adage that uh, what we do for ourselves dies with us, but what we do for others and for the environment isn't always will be eternal. And so that's why the profiling is always done for, with respect of the person I'm reading, because all I want to be able to do is read you to create a better relationship so that we can all enjoy our conversations more. That is awesome. Alan, how can people connect with you and learn from you? Well, the quickest way is to uh, go to my website, which is just my name, Alan, A-L-A-N, Stevens, S-T-E-V-E-N-S, .com.au. They can have a look, go to the success story page and find out what other people have uh, found. And you'll see all the different areas I've used this in, in schools, in uh, raising kids, in mental health, you name it, business, et cetera. And connect with me on uh, that way. And that's probably the best way if you want to find out about the online courses as well. But if they want a bit of a, a taste of how this works, if you use my website and then alanstevens.com.au forward slash the number seven and the word secrets, all is one word, so seven secrets, you can uh, download uh, the seven secrets with six e emails that will come out over uh, 11 days. It'll give them some idea and a couple of uh, things that can go out and test themselves. Awesome. And we'll link that all in the show notes for you to have a look at as well. Alan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It has been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. I hope your uh, listeners get a lot out of it. Check out the show notes below if you'd like to learn more about profiling and how you could change your relationships. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast app so more people like you can join us on this journey towards mindset mastery. Until next time, remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.